We're in a series in the book of Jude, and I want to invite you, if you have access to a Bible, to go ahead and find it. Fifth smallest book of the Bible. It's right. It's, I always find it because it's right before Revelation at the end of the Bible. And it's one of the least taught books in the Bible. For good reason, perhaps because it is full of a whole lot of stuff that isn't always easy to say or hear. We're going to take a look a little bit more at it today. While you find it, you might have heard a story about um, a guy named Phil Contos, who's a motorcycle rider in the state of New York, and he heard about a group that was getting together to protest. Uh, New York is one of the 20 states that requires helmets to be worn on motorcycles. They were going to have a freedom ride where they're going to protest that law, and 550 motorcycle riders got together to ride their motorcycles without helmets just to kind of make a point, to say that um, it, uh, helmets are overrated, helmets aren't necessary, and they're going to ride without helmets. That day, Phil Contos went there, he took part in the ride, and as, as he, he was riding his, his 1983 Harley Davidson on the ride, at one point he saw something in his road, he hit his brakes a little hard, the motorcycle fishtailed, he lost control, he went over the handlebars, and he hit his head on a pavement, he was taken to the hospital, and Phil Contos died that day. The police, state troopers, said he likely would have survived if he'd been wearing a helmet. Not talking about the politics of that. Not talking about what side you might be on on that issue. But it underscores an interesting thought that sometimes you can reason away facts that if you do, you pay a price for. When you reason away what tends to be true, bad stuff can happen and often does. You get to the book of Jude, a little, it's a little letter that Jude wrote to followers of Jesus Christ. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, this can apply directly to you. If you're on the road to considering Jesus Christ, think about what this is going to say because it will apply to you should you choose to follow him. And we started last week. And, uh, there's a ton to get in today. And here's what I'm going to do today. I'm just going to teach you, okay? Just know it's, it's, we're going to teach straight through it. At the end, I'll give you a couple thoughts of application. But we're going to talk a little bit about the points of this and and when... What we started with is that Jude was all excited to talk about the amazing truth of God and how it sets people free, and he had to subvert that, that kind of te- teaching to say something else that had come up. By the way, every week we're going to put something in your program. It's a little background thing. There's a different one every week. You might have got one of these. This just gives you a little more context. talks about who wrote it, what it's for. This week talks about why, why he wrote it and who he wrote it to when he wrote it. So I, I won't even cover that stuff today. I'm just going to just jump in because based, it, it comes down to this kind of the key uh, section or verse in verse 3 where he talks about, I had to write to you about this, the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. It's cause for celebration. It's cause for clinging to it. But when it's delivered, that God has said stuff that's absolutely true, never changes, and it's the truth about him, about how to know him, about how to be forgiven by him, and how human beings are designed to live. It's the truth. It does not change. But as soon as truth is given, there are always people, contrarians, who come up. And every generation gives rise to a new set of them that have new insights, new means of interpreting certain things, challenges to previous understandings, alternative uh, views, expanding it a little bit, conspiracy theories. And then charges come that the way it was understood... The way the truths that we have held on to for a long time were understood, well, those are kind of obsolete now because you know what? We've evolved. You know, we're always learning, just like we do in science or in technology. 
we've evolved and we, under, we can have a different understanding. Maybe they don't mean what they used to, we think they meant. And in the name of reason, less restrictive guidelines from what God has said start to apply. Jude writes to say, you guys, don't let this rob you. Don't be robbed of the freedom and the truth. Don't be robbed of the, the fullness of life as by living out what God designed you to live. Don't let what used to be true be called false anymore or, or spread it out or dilute it a little bit to be more inclusive. See, Jude is very, very jealous for the people he's writing for. He wants their optimum life. He wants their optimum health. So if you think about it, and you're the receiver of this letter, that's what his passion and God's passion would be for you. You'll get robbed of it if you let that happen. Because absolute truth from God is, is so freeing and it's so securing. We talked about it last week, how that is true. It's also catalytic. It causes you to adapt to it. But you can count on it. And so the whole theme of Jude in, about this faith, that's what this is, that phrase means. The faith that was once delivered for all delivered. It's the at bottom line, absolute count on it, truth about God and his ways. Is that he says we're free because of that. And we are absolutely still responsible to know and embrace and live in it in accordance with what's been delivered for us as right and what's true. So Jude sounds the alarm to watch out for that. And in verses 5 to 7, we saw last week, he, he marked out some examples of um, people who had disregarded it or altered it. Now today, again, I'm just going to start teaching through, starting with verse 8. I'm going to pause on certain phrases to describe some things. A lot of stuff in here. And then at the end, so hang with me. At the end, we're going to talk about how does that apply to us. So you start in verse 8, and he says, now in the same way, and in the same way he's going to be referencing this, these dreamers, he says. He uses the word these dreamers. They are doing something. These dreamers pollute their own bodies and on. Now he's talking, these dreamers, probably that phrase actually means these are people who feel like they've had visionary experiences. They've had aha moments. They are people in the, in the, they're in the club. They're students of God. They've come on board. But they have these, they claim to have seen or discovered certain things. They're, deep, they're, they're self-appointed deep thinkers. There's a whole lot of them in our world. And by the way, you can, all you have to do now is, is click your internet and you will find bloggers and experts all over the place who've all got lots of cool theories. It's even more than it used to be. So I'm just going to teach them that and we'll apply later. Okay. And then he's, he uses this, this phrase, in the same way. In the same way as what? As the same way as what happened in verses 5 to 7. There he talked about three different things that happened. Look, just look at it. I want to remind you, the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who didn't believe. So, he's, so that, that was something that happened to people who disregarded the truth. He talks about angels in verse 6 who didn't keep their positions of authority but abandoned their own home. We talked about it last week. He's kept in darkness, bounded with everlasting change for judgment. In a similar way, the third one is Sodom and Gomorrah. The surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example. And then he, now he says in verse 8, now in the same way that people had that happen in their lives, there's something that happens ongoing. This is what people come in and tend to do with the truth that God gives. There's, they, it has an effect on them, and it, he lists three things. These are the three phrases. They pollute their own bodies. They reject authority. They slander celestial beings. These probably correspond to each of those three things that just got said. Here's kind of what they mean, just very simply. Uh, it says they, they pollute their own bodies. Literally, that means they pollute their flesh. 
that phrase almost always in the, in the use of Scripture refers to sexual impurity, things that are being done in the name of sexual freedom. So there's this polluting of the, fret, uh, the flesh. It's, it's, they violate, they engage in what's called impurity. Other sexual activity other than the coupling of a man and a woman in marriage. That's what he's referring to, that, that, these, that happens. It probably corresponds to one of a couple things. It could be, uh, could be re- corresponding or referencing Sodom and Gomorrah, what's it, in verse 7, and the culture that had embraced uh, different views about sexuality and were condoning that. He also could be talking about verse 6 where it talks about this angelic infiltration that no one quite understands in Genesis 6 where angels disregarded their position and took place in behaviors toward mankind. It implies sexual contact. People don't quite understand. I don't quite, I've seen all the theories. I'm not sure what, what, what exactly it's about. There's theories about what that is. But it's Genesis 6, and it led up to the condemnation of the earth when, uh, in Noah's flood. Regardless which one is responding to, when truth gets diluted, this permissiveness comes in and, and a polluting of, of our sexuality tends to start happening. The second phrase there is that re, they reject authority. It probably is corresponding to verse 5, which is post-Egypt, Israel, who have been rescued by God and then they turn on him and they rebel. They discredit Moses. The third phrase there is they slander celestial beings, which is rather interesting because the word that phrase actually means they blaspheme glories or they revile or belittle them. It's probably corresponding to verse 7, because in that story in Sodom and Gomorrah, God sent angelic beings to warn Lot, tell him to get out of the city. And the, and the men of that town came in and wanted to have sexual relations with the angelic beings. They, dis, they discredited who they... They didn't know who they were dealing with. It didn't matter to them what they were... They were reviling or belittling, belittling them. So it's... It might be a reference to this. What happens is, and think about this, how when truth gets challenged, kind of a cavalier attitude starts to arise over the spiritual dimension. Are there angels? Are there demons? Does it matter? Do they have an effect on our lives? Everybody kind of goes, yeah, whatever. Yeah, you know, we make movies out of that stuff. And it discredits that. It slanders it. It reviles or belittles it. And the point he's saying is when truth gets diluted, there's this temptation. He, the warning is don't underestimate. Don't treat lightly something that's absolutely true about the world around you, including the spiritual forces that exist among you. If you look at verse 10, it says these men speak abusively against what they do not understand. Now, the reason that probably is what fits is because of what happens in verse 9. And you see this phrase happens. It says even the archangel Michael when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. Okay, that just references a whole other story that happened that's not even in the Bible. It may or may not have been kind of a verbal type of story that it may or may not have even been true, but it's referencing something and and it it kind of is making reference to uh, uh, what's called a pseudepigrapha, the there are writings from that day that aren't scripture, but there's one that's called the Assumption of Moses, and it tells a story about when Moses died and the devil, for one reason, 
wanted to, wanted to take the body so that the people of Israel couldn't rally around his grave. And Michael, the archangel, enters. Now, Michael is referenced in Daniel 10, Daniel 12. He's in Revelation 12. He's called the archangel, the, the highest-ranking angel in God's armies of angels. This guy is a, this is a significant dude. And he's been active all through human history. He's generally active, involved in protection and in defense and in combat and conquest. He is the one, by the way, when Jesus returns, there will be a victory trumpet like a military trumpet sound. And it is the, it is the trumpet of God and the voice of the archangel will announce the return of Jesus. This guy's a player in that. So it's evoking Michael and says, now look, this is a powerful guy. This is a guy, this is a spiritual being who is far stronger than anybody who's reading this little letter. And you know what he did? Again, whether the story is is referencing like, did you hear about it because it's just a story or whether it actually happened? He said, when he went up against the enemy of God, even he knew what he was dealing with. Even he doesn't take it lightly. He doesn't just sniff at it or say, oh, isn't, isn't that kind of cool, interesting. He, knows not, he knew not to deal with that, that power because there's something really, really bigger going on. And so he invokes the power of God and says, let the Lord, let Yahweh be the one who rebukes you. Even angelic warriors don't take lightly things that are true. Things that contrarians might try to dismiss. And then it says in verse 10, we already, these men speak abusively against what they do not understand. Anybody who mocks the stuff of God, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is coming back, that there's something going on in a dimension beyond the physical world, that's what this is. Speak abusively. And they're doing it against things they do not understand. The whole title we gave today is Do Not Underestimate What You Do Not Understand Because There's a Truth to It. It's real. It is not just our imagination and it's happening around us. And so he invokes God to rebuke the enemy of God, Satan. And what what happens there is it shows that there's complete dependence on God's way, his involvement, There's an awareness even Michael has of his inability to take care of all this stuff himself. So, you get to verse, uh, the end of verse 10. It says, like unreasoning animals. They they, they do things, they do what they, uh, and what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. So what that's really saying is that people who, if we dilute the truth, we just kind of pick and choose. If we don't realize how how significant it is, we tend to revert to just our own impulses, what he calls animal animal tendencies. We'll just do what feels best to us. We'll do what seems right to us. We'll just we'll just try to make life work, and it and it has the power to destroy us. Verse eleven: Woe to them! And now he's going to say three more. He's going to invoke three more descriptions of truth-altering and manipulation. And he uses these phrases. They've taken the way of Cain. They've rushed for the prophet into Balaam's heir. They've been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Each of these are a story of, of, in the Old Testament about God and his people. 
And I'm only going to mention them briefly. And I'd encourage you to go to look at these stories and see what happened in each of them. The way of Cain. In Genesis 4, Cain, the brother of Abel, has jealousy toward his brother. He, he, he feels inflamed in rage. And God visits him and says, you need to understand that sin is crouching at your door. If you follow the impulse, here's the truth. I will take care of you. I will take care of doing justice. If, it, if you give in to it, it's crouching at your door like an animal ready to spring. If you give in to it, it will destroy you. And the way of Cain is that he decides that he's only going to take that truth to the degree to which he feels like it. In 1 John chapter 3, it gives us a summary. It says, do not like, be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And that's what he did. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brother's were righteous. You start to dilute God's ways for living and it begins to erode your moral compass. You start to follow your own impulses and it will destroy us. God is saying that. Not to thwart us. Not to tell us that we, that we should stay in line because God made us for the highest level of living and it's in the way that doesn't change. It's in His ways. He, he mentions next, Balaam's error. That's what you heard depicted from Numbers 22 and 23, where Balaam is chosen by God to be an instrument of God. Can I, just as an aside, there's a warning here. All of these are for people who are part of the community of faith. These are people who have been given gifts from God and are using them. And so this is a warning against you and me. Balaam, who's a prophet of God and has, has been given an open channel of communication with God, still sees that as an opportunity to allow the truth to take a place subservient to his own agenda. So he says, maybe this will work out for me. Maybe I'll benefit. Maybe I should go to church because I'll make some contacts for my business. Balaam, the greed of Balaam drives him to take the truth and what God has given him and use it for his own selfish purposes. And this is what 2 Peter, which by the way, you'll see in your little yellow thing today, 2 Peter and Jude very much parallel each other in the, their warnings. And Second Peter says this about it. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech. And I got to say, I, I picture that happening, and I'm thinking, Balaam just talks to the donkey? Like, the donkey talks and Balaam has an argument with him? Like, what? wouldn't the first thing that Balaam get, be... It's a talking donkey. Like, I, I, I just can't imagine. Maybe he did that and it's just not recorded. That's an aside. Okay. <laughs> Who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. What this is about is allowing spiritual position to be leveraged for personal gain. And we could say a whole lot more about that. The third one that's exam- used here in verse 11, is called Korah's uh, Rebellion. This is in Numbers also, in the book of Numbers, chapter 16. This is while the children of Israel are going through the wilderness, God is going to lead them to the promised land, and it gets old and tiring, and 40 years takes a long time. And they're wearing the same stuff every day, and God is miraculously providing manna for them to eat every, from the sky. I mean, this is magic stuff going on. And yet people start to grumble against their leaders and against Moses and Aaron in particular. Korah is part of a rebellion that says, we've had enough. 
We don't care what God is doing. We don't care what you say. We're going to... We, we don't like you telling us the truth. We don't like tell, you telling us stuff we don't want to hear. So we're just going to want to go our own way and do our own thing. And God calls that his rebellion. This is what Psalm 106 summarizes about that. In the camp, they grew envious of Moses and of Aaron, who was consecrated to the Lord. And here's what happens. I mean, wow. The earth opened up, swallowed Dathan. It buried the company of Abiram, fire blazed among their followers a flame consumed the wicked i think god's serious about this stuff now here's what all three of those things in jude uh, verse 11 have in common all three of those examples these are people who have been given truth it's the truth about who god is it's the truth about how to know him it's the truth it's the faith once for all delivered to the saints God has said, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what he requires of you. His truth is there. It does not change because of culture. It does not change because of popular opinion. He has told us, this is how human beings best function. Whether you're a teenager in the walls of your high school, whether you're a middle-aged person at work, whether you're a retired person, there are things that are absolutely true that God has given us. He's shown you, and it's good. It's right. It's pure. In all three of these situations, people deviated from it. They altered it. They manipulated God's truth or they diluted it to accommodate their own fleshly passions and desires. You know why? Because we trust ourselves. Because we want what we want. Because our desires make sense to us. And a whole lot of times... Our views on something, and we read what God says, or we hear what God says, and we go, that does, I don't, doesn't feel good. Well, I don't like that. Well, that's exclusive. Well, of somebody who I care about. Well, that doesn't... That, but, but there's stuff that comes naturally to me. You're telling me not to do what comes naturally to me? We trust ourselves, and we dilute it. So we manipulate it to, accomp- to make it fit what we want it to say. When we do that, we are on a path that God is saying through Jude, you guys, don't underestimate what you don't understand. This will cost you. It can cost you in physical ways. It will cost you in spiritual ways. It can even cost people in eternal ways. So, what he's going to do now is he's going to pull back the curtain. He's going to say, if that happens... Let's, I want to expose for you the true effect it has on you and on the people who do this. So as, a, as a warning and a caution, as a redirective. So verses 12 to 13, it talks about what effect this has. And this phrase gets used. These men are blemishes at your love feasts. Now that's, that's a phrase that gets used for having communion together. It's not a ritual of the church. It's a gathering like we often do around here in our cell groups it means people are in community with each other and they are focusing on the risen Jesus Christ and his payment for sin. They're celebrating the Lord's table together and they're connecting with one another. And when these people are involved in the community, they have a net effect. It says that they are blemishes. The word that you heard uh, when it was, it was getting quoted is a good translation. They're like re- the word's actually reefs. They're reefs that cut the bottom of the boat. They have a destructive effect on on those who are in the boat. 
and they're under the water. They, 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 may, they may not look like they're a threat, but they rip the boat up. And so what they do is they contaminate or degrade people's holiness. Then he uses this analogy. They're shepherds who feed only themselves. Now I want to read you something. A few weeks ago, Phil Shoma was here, and he talked about the 23rd Psalm and shepherds and taking their, their flocks to green pastures, how significant that was. And I'm not a shepherd, and I'm from the city, and I didn't see a sheep until I was an adult. I don't, you know, I don't even know what they... But this is what's true of shepherds historically, that, that a, the shepherd calling is considered... It, it's a very simple life, but it's considered a noble life because the shepherd... This is what Douglas Moo says about it. The shepherd is the epitome of a person who selflessly watches out for others. It was therefore a natural term to apply both to the Lord, Psalm 23, and others and to leaders of the people of God in the Old Testament and in the New. And here's what, here's what this Jew says. You know what? These guys come in and they're acting like shepherds, but here's what they're doing. They're feeding only themselves. And Pentecost says, How unthinkable for a shepherd to not feed his sheep, which was his primary major responsibility. It is, it is, that self-sacrifice is what the role is all about. But these... People, the most egregious act of a shepherd would be to feed himself and allow his sheep to die. And so these folks come in and the net effect of them being involved is that their teaching does something for them. It accommodates and makes them feel better about themselves. It gives them permission to do what they want to do or get what they want to get. But it, does, it feeds only themselves. And that is the most egregious act somebody who's acting like a shepherd could perform so they're posers with a self-serving agenda now if you haven't had enough word pictures he's going to give a few more he's going to use four word pictures now to follow up and say this is the net effect of what people this this influence among us can have here they are this is uh what what verse is this This is verse uh the starting with verse the end of verse 12 right yeah they're clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. They're autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead because they're not bearing fruit and their roots are gone. They're wild waves of the sea foaming up with their shame. And they're wandering stars. Now, all four of those get, get used and they all kind of create the, the same picture, that there's an external presentation of something. There's a facsimile of something going on. But... And this is important. There's no substance, no life change, no life that comes out of what they offer. All it does is there's no direction being given. The clouds are there. the, The things that are supposed to produce rain are there, but nothing actually comes from it. The trees are there, but there's no there's no sustenance coming from them. There's waves where it's a whole lot of sound and fury, but it's signifying nothing. It's just bringing up a lot of stuff. And the wandering stars thing, this would be for those who navigate by the stars. A fixed star can help somebody navigate. No one ever navigates by a shooting star. That would be foolish. You follow a fixed star. It gives you direction. But this doesn't give anybody any direction. And so... What Jude invites these people to do, and what he invites us to do, is step back 
from those who might be trying to dilute God's truth, trying to make it accommodate more or say things it didn't used to say or make us feel better about our choices right now or that we're not, or, or here's the big thing. We sang about this morning, man, grace is fantastic. Grace gives you freedom. Grace gives you acceptance with God. And there's a danger that grace can be an umbrella we put over ourselves and say, it's all covered, so it doesn't matter what I do. Danger, Jude says. No, you are still, God has given us the right way and you're still accountable to him. You're still responsible to follow his way and not compromise it in your life. So Jude invites us to step back and ask, are the, are the folks who introduce these thoughts, as a result of that, are people, are, do you see people who are actually led toward righteousness? Do you see people who actually fall deeply in love with Jesus Christ and hold on to him and obey him more? Do you see him being formed and his character formed in their life? Do you see a net of effect of people coming to repentance of their sin and finding wholeness, forgiveness, healing, and freedom as a result? If not, that is who's being described. And so he goes on to say there's a coming exposure of all this. Jude Jude is tough. I'll tell you guys, Jude, Jude is tough. He's saying, I, I, I almost sense that he says, I wish I could tell you something different, but I got to tell you the truth. Accountability is still coming. There's still an answer that's going to be given for the way we live. And we've been entrusted with truth. So more than anybody, we're accountable to hold on to it and let, it, let our lives change to adapt to it rather than change it to adapt our lives. So he says this thing about Enoch, verse 14. I, I skipped over a terrible phrase, but I, I, not on purpose. It says at the end of verse 13, for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Wow. What that says to me, and I said this last week, man, that gives me pause as a teacher. Somebody who says, oh, I've read about God or I've read his word. And let me tell you what's true. Boy, oh boy, am I responsible. So now he, he invokes something else. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, who prophesied about these men. Now again, He's going to, in, it's almost like um, th- what, he's, what he's quoting is not in the Old Testament. There's a lot of other material that was available to God's people that the Jews would have, been av- uh, would, have, uh, would have known about, but it's an extra biblical source. It's kind of like he might be quoting from a, 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 a popular song of the day and say, you know, it's like the song says, or, you know, it's, 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 it's like Dorothy said, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. It makes a point. He's not trying to, I don't, it's not trying to say whether this was a historical event or not, but you, you've heard that, that story. He's going to evoke it. Enoch, seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they've done in the ungodly way and the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So you see this word, right? whole lot of ungodly in there. All variations of the same word. And this is important because what he's talking about is the, is the consequences and the responsibility that's coming. The, that word, when I hear that, I think of tribal people who have no concept of God who don't, or, or atheists who say that there's, there's no God. You know that that's not what the word is talking about. This, it could refer to people who, are, who know that there's a God. But in that word, it's 
Asabeya in the Greek, it means, sometimes it's translated impious. I don't like that word because I don't know what it means. It, it means those who, who might know about God, but they don't regard Him. They don't acquiesce to Him. It means that they don't adjust to Him. They, are in, they act independently of Him, even if they know He's there. And what that says is, the source of this comes from inside the faith community. You and I can both point to people, and I won't name them now, but we could easily do it, who you see on television and other places, who are going to tell you what the, a, a truth about God that basically results in you getting physically well first or, or financially set first or getting what you asked for or, or, acquiring, or, or accomplishing things first and foremost. It comes from within the, those who are naming the name. But his description of them is that they are ungodly people, meaning they're disregarding God in ways that disregard God's truth for, a dis, for, for an effect that disregards God. It's coming from, the, the, the phone call is coming from inside the house. And then he says this. He quoting this Enoch passage. He says, first of all, you got these, uh, he's coming to judge everyone. And he invokes this picture that I personally believe from the book of Revelation is true that when God comes, there's a, there's a show, man. It's a show of power. It's a show of authority. Tens of thousands of angelic hosts who come and accompany him says, this is, this is the real deal. This is the one you answer to. This is the one who is the Lord of all. He is the right one. And the day will come where every human being will have to face that, that person, the risen Son of God, Jesus Christ, which is why I will tell you I want to know Him and be forgiven by Him now. I want to be on His side. I want to be covered by, I want to be part of His army. And then He says, and He's, he's coming to convict or to judge everyone. He's going to expose it. And he's going to hold them accountable. Be, again, Jude is saying, be very, very careful speaking to say what is right and what's true and what's absolute, what's acceptable. We have a whole lot of voices in our culture from inside the church and outside the church who are very boldly telling us what is absolutely true that doesn't come from God. I don't believe that these folks have any idea how culpable they are, how responsible they are, even in casual uh, conversation. And so, he says, they will, God will convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they've done in an ungodly way, and the harsh words ungodly sinners has, have spoken against them. Okay, let's, let's apply it. Here's what we need to know. There is a constant pull on you and on churches, and on culture, constantly there. Every generation has it. It comes from within ourselves. It comes from the enemies of God. But there's a constant pull to rework God's directives to accommodate our own purposes. To make Him make it fit with what we want Him to say. So if we feel better about Him, we feel better about ourselves, we feel better about our actions. It, it, it comforts us. It, it reinforces our opinions. Let me just ask you, do you do that? 
Are there things in your life and your choices that you have kind of convinced yourself this is no big deal? This is okay. I'm not hurting anybody. No one knows about it. I can stop whenever I want. This opinion is a much more palatable opinion than what I've heard in historic Christianity. Is that, does that happen in your life? We excuse ourselves. We reason away some opinions and behaviors. We minimize their effect. Here is what God wants to say. That what is good, what is pure, what is right, what is holy, what is the design of God, what is best for us, is set by God. It has been once delivered for all, and it is the good and best way to live a human life. Notice we say it's not the most painless way. It's not the most popular way. It's not the way that's going to put butts in the seats. But it is the right way. Not because we say it, not because some, uh, we have an opinion, but because God has set it down for us. Because He loves us and He goes, I want you guys to experience the fullest, best life. Here it is. And God holds us responsible to it. When we've been given that truth, He holds us responsible to it. So, you see this proverb. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom, discipline, and understanding. I love the summary of this. The truth is there. What are you going to do with it? We have a choice. He says, buy the truth. In other words, attain the truth. Go out and bring it, reaffirm it, attain it, bring it in as it is. And whatever you do, don't sell the truth. Don't surrender it for the right price or the right feeling. Buy the truth. Don't sell it. We, we, we are responsible to therefore know it and guard it. Because I'll tell you what, the news is good. The truth is good. God's truth allows me to be free. God's truth allows me to be pure and whole. God's truth allows me to recover from even the injuries that happen in a fallen world. God's ways are, they increase who I am as a person and you. They are good. His ways are right and pure and good. Buy it. Don't sell it. And guard it. Every Christmas... It happens. It just happened again this week. Christmas happens, Easter happens. People come out with new theories about Jesus. One just came out this week. It was on CNN. Was Jesus, did Jesus have children? Well, there's this obscure Syrian document that doesn't name the name of Jesus, but describes a person. He had a wife and children. Maybe it was Mary Magdalene. Maybe he had children. Oh, maybe, you know, ooh, ooh, really? Jesus could have. And it also says, you know, there's all that same person was there's an assassination attempt on their life when they were 20 years old. Ooh, really? Jesus might have been a target of assassination? It kind of takes you to go, ooh, what else do I not know? 
Stuff always comes out that says, you know, let's rethink. What, Je- what did Jesus really say? Here's a list of things that probably he didn't say because our scholarship has now proven that it came from different places. Here's some things that Jesus didn't really do. Here's something. Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God. Jesus never claimed to be the only way. Really? Every year it comes out around the holidays. You know why? It gets clicks and it sells magazines. And there are voices that will d- try to dilute what he said, redirect what he said, redefine what he said. Attacks come from without. But you know what? We need to guard it because it also comes from within. Because you know what? I have a very, very strong will. I have deep passions. I don't like people telling me what to do or believe. I don't, people, I don't want any outside source telling me that I'm wrong. And so from within myself, I'm going to hear some of what God says is the right way to live my life or what is true or right about human behavior. I'm going to find myself saying, that can't be. It doesn't add up. I need a different set of proofs. I need a different set of criteria. I need to accommodate this group of people who that leaves out or that criticizes or that, that would, would say that they're inappropriate. And my mind will start to work. My will will start to, and I will trust myself. The voice will come from within myself. It says, let me see if I can find a way to accommodate God's truth. I, I'm gonna, just going to tell you an honest little story from early in my life where there were some sexual behaviors going on in my life that I was feeling some guilt about. And then I heard a, 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 a Christian communicator give, came up with reasons why it might, might be okay for me to do that. And I paid attention. I started to research. I wanted to hear other voices. I wanted other people to tell me it was okay. And I accumulated enough resources that I kind of convinced myself, I think this is not a big deal. Until God, through his word and through some individuals, exposed me again and said, really? Really? And when the door opened and my heart softened and I opened up, I said, no, I know. I know what's true. I know that this needs to be dealt with in my life. Those are the tests that we run into. The call of Judas to say the best life is preserved for us. Guard it. Guard the truth. Don't let anybody outside yourself or even within yourself convince you otherwise. And if, And this might be true for people in the room. Probably is for a whole lot of us. If you have shifted, if you have accommodated on something, if you have drifted, the invitation is come back to the truth. The call is to reconfirm it and recommit ourselves to it and and re-acknowledge it so that God has a platform in our life to give us the best life that we can possibly experience that's under the canopy of the truth and his way. That's his invitation for us. Next week, we're going to see even more how he calls on us to live that out. Let's pray pray with me. I sense, God, that there's a whole lot of very sincere people in this room who are here because they really do want to know you 
They want your way. We want it. But we will admit to you that it's hard for us to adjust ourselves to match your truth and embrace it because we so desperately want our way to be the right way. Right now, even in this room, would you help us so that we would turn toward you and say, okay, all right, and we'll soften our hearts. For somebody who's sitting here who has considered the offer of Jesus and the provision of your son to die into their place is offering them eternal life, but they have hesitated to say, I'm giving my life to you. Make today a day where they say, all right, I believe. I place my trust in you and your way. And for those who do know you, make this, would you penetrate with this truth to the very specific areas that are represented in this room? Whatever views they might be or doctrines might be held to or things we insist or or, or had doubts emerge because of, things we've excused or rationalized away, would you just let that drop from us so that right now we would reaffirm to say, your way is best, I know it's true, and I will embrace it for the way I live. Live it out through us then, God, and make us people who experience the fullness that comes, even when it's difficult, of following your way. Pray through your son. Amen.